0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Dr. Sally Rocky, Executive Director of the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with FFAR's Dr. Sally Rocky next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research was born from the 2014 Farm Bill with the mission of finding matching ag research funds for the whole food system, from producer to consumer. FFAR Executive Director Dr. Sally Rocky says there are six challenge areas that form their strategic research framework.
1: Across all of those areas, we also have that ag-environment nexus, which, which really does hit all of our challenge areas. So how do we conduct agriculture and what science needs to come to bear in order to have agriculture deal with the cl- changing climate? And then secondly, the other really important area that we are um, advancing and and growing in is that health-agricultural nexus, and that's really what came to light through COVID. We recognize that a lot of the comorbidities with COVID had to do with the food we eat, and we need to be able to make an agricultural system that not only provides for access to food, but to healthy food. And so that's the other big area that is cross-cutting across many of our challenge areas is that health-agricultural nexus.
0: Are there other areas that you could be working in that are needed now if you had additional funds
1: I think the two areas that we we are looking for and of course there's great interest now in that environment agricultural area we could do a lot more with more funding um, but in in whole cloth all of our areas could um, benefit from additional funding because we're not a large organization we work with our partners to try to identify those areas where small infusion of funding could really make a difference and accelerate things. But we do have to make choices. For example, we don't work very much in the food safety area uh, because of our funding limitations. And there's possibilities that we could move more into that area. We could more uh work more directly with a direct technology development if we had which can obviously be very costly if we had more uh, funding. So those kind of things where we could go into some areas that we didn't, but really all of our challenge areas uh, would benefit for additional funds. But we're we're delighted with the funding we have. Uh, we do uh, leverage it. So even though we ourselves have received $385 million of funding from Congress, we actually have calculated that by the end of 2023 where we will have expended this funds, we will have funded over a billion dollars of research because of the leverage we have of bringing in additional partners and additional funds.
0: Well clearly you have support from the agriculture groups because facing this COVID crisis and other issues many have suggested that one of the answers that has to be is additional ag research.
1: I have worked both at um, the USDA and NIH and now the foundation, and I see um, what funding can do to help um, really uh, have a, a discipline or an area progress. So in biomedical research, as you know, the NIH is over $40 billion a year. And, you know, only in our dreams do we think about having that much money for agriculture. But it is such an exciting, innovative time to be in agriculture that you would actually – get many multitudes of scale by having additional funding come come into agriculture right now because there's two parts of it The agriculture is extraordinarily complex every single kind of discipline makes a contribution to our progress from you know thinking about physics and the physical properties of, of soil all the way to the economics of a system and in between those two things is biology right because agriculture is about living things about life, and biology is the study of life. And so we have to really tease apart all this complexity. But then when it comes to technology, agriculture agriculture has been extraordinary in taking scientific technological advances and applying them probably faster than any other industry, making us very cutting edge. So if there were additional fundings for ag science, we would see that the amplification of those funds in ways we never could have imagined in the past. I mean, we are all in when it comes to things like GPS and imaging and artificial intelligence, using gene editing, et cetera. Um, it's really, really important that not only do we have the funding to make those fundamental um, discoveries, but also to take that all the way out and um, get those discoveries applied. And, again, one of the really... Uh, fantastic things about agricultural science, whether you're working in what we call basic science or, or fundamental science, or whether you're working in the more applied science, our science is adopted into practice more rapidly than any other sector. So um, even a fundamental project like our project to look at photosynthesis, which is trying to tease out every little piece of photosynthesis, which is the way that a plant uh, gets energy from the sun. It has led to very practical outcomes, which is um, to increase yield and decrease water use efficiency in plants. So so right now, I am jazzed because it is the best time in the world to be in agricultural science. It is so innovative and cutting edge. Uh, you know, it's breathtaking how far we have come as a as a system. And if you think about what happened in the 50s and 60s with the Green Revolution, that was really a time when our understanding of genetics and chemistry and our ability to adopt modern scientific methods to agriculture advanced with a sub- rapid speed that it was absolutely incredible. And as you know, it led to the Nobel Prize for Norman Borlaug, who is credited with the Green Revolution in saving billions of people from starvation. That all came about because of the application of science. And so that started this amazing um, acceleration of science for agriculture, and it continues to this day. It's absolutely breathtaking what's happening now.
0: So what was the goal of the Ag Climate Partnership, as it was back in February 2020, that you formed with the USFRA?
1: So what we're trying to do is to really create a movement by which we take what has been um sort of a fragmented approach to this. We have so many groups and organizations that work on climate smart agriculture and work on greenhouse gas um, emission reduction. And it's great work. And it's going on all across this country as well as across the world. So what we said was, can we create a platform that would really use all of those great projects that are going on and bring those projects together and, most importantly, the data from those projects together so that we can all move together, learn from each other, get economies of scale, and be able to feed other systems such as decision support systems or credit market systems that would rely on really robust data and results. And that's what we'd like to do. And at the same time, build this with farmers so that farmers can use it test it, give us feedback, come back and tell us what gaps we have. Um, We're also going to look at what gaps we might have where we have to do some first stage research in order to fill those gaps and generate new data to feed into this uh, system. We get a lot of um, organizations that are very interested in this because not only do they benefit from having this robust system that will um, be able to feed their systems, but also it will be a system that um, will have data and results that you know they never would have had access to in the past. So that's what we're trying to do, and um, it's really exciting because I think it benefits many parts of our sector. Of course, farmers, for sure, so that they have good science-based um, information to make their decisions, um, whatever those decisions are. But also, our our in the food industry, of course, with our with the food companies as well as retailers as well as seed companies, all of that, all of us stand to benefit from, from this kind of a very collaborative approach, uh, to what we have, we're all been doing in our own little world, uh, to this point.
0: So on the one year anniversary of the partnership, a new name and the announcement of a private company willing to invest funds in the mission area.
1: So Ag Mission really brings to focus many things. A mission like a moonshot, agriculture and a, ag mission. It's also a play on the word emissions. So we're trying to re, uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so ag mission also help people vision, uh, envision what we're really trying to do in this area. The idea of this is to form a number of funding partners. We're actually created a formal capital campaign to try to raise $100 million toward this goal as we talked about to build this platform and to engage farmers with farmer adoption. So PepsiCo coming in as our first formal founding member has been really, really exciting because you, as you know, PepsiCo is an agricultural company at its core and uh, they have very much uh, looking at the resilience of the food system. They also have worked with tens of thousands of farmers across the world, so that's really great for our networks that we need to have in um, Ag Mission in order to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the farming community. They're a large company. They can help Im- influence the, the advance of regenerative agriculture practices that do com- um, combat climate change and reduce greenhouse gas um, emissions. So, um, they're right in the epicenter of this, so that's great for us. And um, they've already made some investments in, in their own uh, projects that will apply and be able to also help feed our platform and be able to integrate with our f- platforms. They then will be the beneficiary by having a worldwide network of data and um, results that can work uh, for their company as well. And uh, So it goes both ways. It's really just incredible. Um, it's, they will have an incredible resource that they will have helped build. They are not going to be the only partner. We're working, as I said, on a $100 million campaign, uh, of which our foundation will match part of that. We're very excited to have Pepsi as our first signing partner. And we're hoping that many more will. We've been talking with many other organizations, and so we're hoping that many others will follow.
0: Can you point to nuggets of research that have already been revealed and other low-hanging fruit or other objectives that you hope to find in this research?
1: So if you think about where the state of some of this work in greenhouse gas reduction has gone on, there's two parts. There's the cropping side side. And there's the animal side. So we have looked at methane emissions in cattle. We've been very involved in, and in other um, animals as well. We've been very involved in some of these programs to look at how we manage animals and also the feed that we use for animals to reduce methane emissions. On the crop side, we've done a ton of work in soil health. And soil health is really at the Foundation for Carbon Sequestration And so we have looked at the metrics for soil health. We have looked at the metrics for um, carbon sequestration, so how they can be utilized to create carbon markets. So we are a big funder of the Ecosystem Services uh, Consortium that is looking at carbon markets as well as water and quantity and quality markets. And USFRA has done some work on specific commodities trying to model what the different practices and how they impact uh, greenhouse gas reduction.
0: As you're providing this research and as you're looking at research, are you finding areas where farmers can see that adopting these practices is beneficial for them inside their own systems or in developing ways that they might be compensated from the private sector?
1: So one of the real goals about the Ag Mission is to bring different kinds of data together. And one of the kinds of data that is often missing in these these um, decision support systems or systems that have been built to help farmers make decisions are those economic sides. So what makes – what in the science um, and what changes in practices can you do that is still going to allow the farmer to be profitable or more profitable than they were before? So that is an issue that um, we – we have to build very carefully into the, the ag mission system, but it's going to make this system quite unique in that that is going to be a big emphasis, the profitability of the farm. So that is just that is not about a, a, an ecosystem service market, but it's just about the overall profitability of the farm. So, for example, there's been a lot of studies on, on the use of cover crops and whether the use of cover crops is profitable. And we're finding in the long term, while it might be not as profitable at the beginning, we're finding in the long term that cover crops in and of themselves can be very profitable in, in agricultural systems, depending on the crop and the region and the type of cover crop used, et cetera. Um, you have to look at, in the animal world, if you're, you have this variety of uh, dairy cow, and you're using a certain kind of um, feed on that dairy cow. Are you? Is that profitable? Are you getting the same yield in milk, and are you reducing methane um, production? Uh, methane production at the same time. Those are the kind of questions that we hope to be able to answer um, with uh, this this system. On the other hand, then there's the the incentives through the markets, and the so for example, carbon markets that have been all the rage of of recent to actually pay farmers for the the reduction in greenhouse gases or to increase carbon sequestration that certainly is going to benefit the work of agmission um it's broader agmission is broader than just uh, feeding carbon markets because they need science based decision making if you're going to have a carbon market you have to know that you are measuring um, the the increased um, carbon sequestration the right way for example you have to know how practices influence that. But it's not just about the incentive systems. It, we hope that the incentive is going to be that overarching there while we, we hope that we'll have more and more um, ecosystem services markets. We're at the same time going to be able to improve the entire profitability of a farm based on um, putting in place climate smart practices that have been uh, scientifically driven.
0: So let's talk about some of the areas that you're working on with the Foundation for Food and Ag Research. Uh, it has been identified that there are food deserts inside the country, places where it's a, a tremendous travel from the field to make it to the fork of the consumer. Is your look into vertical farming and to non-traditional agriculture, do you anticipate finding results there that might be able to help these deserts?
1: Yeah, well, if, if you think about it, vertical farming is where crops are grown in stacks, as you know. Know, you've seen pictures of them because you can control everything in a vertical farm you can actually grow plants for specific reasons for certain nutritional requirements or for cer- certain traits they might have but the big thing that what you're talking about is that because vertical farms can go anywhere they could potentially provide opportunity for more localized access to food we want to try to diversify the kinds of plants that can be grown and crops that can be grown inside um, in vertical farms. As you probably know, the most common kinds of crops that are grown in vertical farms right now are leafy greens. So lettuce and those kind of things and herbs and things like that. Um, if we really want to, to uh, create access to um, uh, healthy foods, we have to be able to grow mo- more kinds of crops in vertical farms. Vertical farms offer advantages because you can grow things usually very much faster and have many more cycles. For example, with um, with lettuce, you can actually get over 20 cycles of lettuce a year, as opposed to maybe 13 in a greenhouse and maybe only three in a out in the field. So you can do things um, faster. But we we want to to be able to grow almost anything inside. I mean, that would be the dream to grow almost anything inside a inside a vertical farm. So in order to do that, we have to understand these crop plants and how they could potentially be adapted to uh, growing inside. And that's really what our consortium is about, is to look at different plants and look at the characteristics of plants we can grow now and see how that can be um adapted to other kinds of crops so that we can have just a, a, a large variety of different kinds of crops that can be grown in vertical farms.
0: I noted uh, you, a lot of the research that you're working on, some of it to, for the distant future and some of it that is so relevant right now. With the drought that we're having in the West, uh, the shortage of water that producers and consumers are experiencing, you're spending time now looking at ways to uh, reduce the amount of waste in irrigation systems. That's timely information. Right.
1: Yeah, we have actually a consortium called the Irrigation Innovation Consortium, and that is really looking at ways that we can uh, do smart irrigation. That means irrigating where you need it in a field, um, being able to control irrigation technology so that it only places water where it's needed. On the other side of that, we're doing quite a bit of work on water adaptation in plants. So we're looking at the genetics. How do
0: we breed crops to be more water uh, resilient? So I wonder if you'd be willing to expand uh, on the nutrition and agriculture nexus and the harvest for health.
1: Ironically, uh, agriculture and nutrition, the two sometimes don't meet. Um, it's, it's interesting because we study quite a bit on uh, human, uh, human nutrition, and, of course, we study a lot on agriculture production, but we need to bridge that gap between the two. So we need to understand how foods we produce Affect the overall nutrition, and nutritionists have to see how the production of food affects overall nutrition, and vice versa. We know that we can start all the way back to agricultural production and uh, think about how we produce more nutritious diets. And on the other hand, we are trying to increase the diversity of the types of foods that we eat, so we can improve. We can. Um, make the foods that we currently eat more nutritious, and on the other hand, we can try to find more uh, different kinds of foods to eat. So our Harvest for Health is is a um, partnership with the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, or GAIN, um, which is an initiative to accelerate the development of underutilized crops and increasing the diversity of those foods in the marketplace. And so we're going to try to do – it's almost science fiction because we're going to try to build a data system by which you would be able to better predict how um, uh, all the components of a food system, including consumer demand, um, processing, producing foods, could be um, put into what is called an algorithm to give you a better idea of whether or not that food has a potential to be incorporated into the the food and the marketplace here. We're in the first phase of this initiative. We're building um, a database decision framework to identify underutilized crops. We believe that our partners here will be mostly NGOs and foundations. And then, as we move to actually have these to test whether or not the crop, this the system will work to identify these crops. Into the system, we believe that we'll have um, partnership with food companies. So it's really a fascinating potential because there's over 30,000 plants that we eat on this planet, and yet the majority of our calories as humans comes from three plants, rice, corn, or wheat. And so we know that we have a lot of very highly nutritious plants out there that if we can better identify them and also provide economic opportunity for farmers around the world to uh, produce these plants, then we will have a a more diversified and highly nutritious food system.
0: Well, Dr. Sally Rocky, we want to congratulate you on the one-year anniversary of Ag Mission and look forward to the research that comes not only from that area, but from all of the areas that uh, you oversee in helping to make this a a better and safer planet and better-fed people on this planet. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word.
1: Well, um, I always just want to thank all of the agricultural community, from the farm all the way to the consumer, who has worked so closely with us to identify and to help fund this just incredible, innovative uh, research that's going on. So we're looking forward to continuing these partnerships and looking forward to really advance agriculture in any way that we can. So thanks so much for having
0: me today. Our thanks to Dr. Sally Rocky, Executive Director of the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dally.